edition of Bass Edge Radio, brought to you by MegaWare Keelguard. Protect your boat against harmful sand, rocks, concrete ramps, and oyster beds made in the USA. Keelguard.com. Aaron, let's get this rocking and rolling. Bass Edge Radio begins now. know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. KeelGuard keel protectors. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the PowerPole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift, PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong current or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge Radio. In three, two, one. You're listening to The Edge. Everything bass fishing. Coming to you nationwide from the Bass Edge Studios. K-Dove, what's going on, my man? Not much, Aaron. Actually perusing some emails right here. I had one from the uh, Blaster shooting at me. Gotta love the Bass Blaster. Make sure everybody gets on that. Bass Gold at BassBlaster.com. Send Mr. Kumar an email. Sign up for the Blaster. Recent good news info in here. Man, checking out the uh, recent baits that James Elam utilized to win uh, the Fort Gibson event. Hey, speaking of which, you know, there is kind of a little theme going on, and we pointed this out a couple times, but we have him on as a guest, then he knocks one out of the park by uh, hitting the home run with the tournament. Dude, I mean, we talked about him being a hot, hot angler and all of a sudden rocks the open, as you just mentioned, and just rocked out the AOI championship. Another big finish. Dude is sick on fire. Gotta love it. But uh, Bass Blaster, giving all the good, showing how he won Gibson, talking a little about Roy Hawks Bates and how he won the U.S. Open on Mead, a forgotten tournament by many, but not by me. I love the U.S. Open. I think it's freaking awesome. I hope to go fish it one day. So uh, all kinds of cool stuff. Dude, you had a tournament recently. What's your dealio? How did that run for you, buddy? I had a blast, you know, September fishing. You know, as we set on this side of the microphone, Kurt, we're one of some of the luckiest guys. I know you're certainly competing at the higher level. My situation is much different. I'm more the regional guy, but, uh, you know, the amount of exposure and knowledge that we get to uh, have come between the ears and the airwaves here, I take a lot of that and try to use that and be a student of the sport. So it was an interesting tournament. September fishing was the championship. 31 anglers qualified for the Central Pro elite. It's a very tough practice as you could expect. So I was mentally prepared. Ended up the first day of the tournament going and fishing all new water on nothing that I'd practiced. I had a great day, but had some situations, poor decisions, man, on my part. Lost fish. And, you know, everybody loses them, so I'm not here trying to, oh, sympathy and yeah, yeah, yeah. Lost the five pounder at the boat and all that other stuff. But these were legitimate fish I had on, which as we know, you get the bite. That's 
the hard part, right? Had I not had the bites, then I wouldn't be, you know, feeling any ill will whatsoever. But the frustrating point was I got the bites in tough conditions, but then I did some just major mistakes. One, didn't have the right line size on one of the rods that I grabbed, broke a couple fish off. I rushed a couple fish, tried to boat flip, you know, swing a fish on a crankbait, which I didn't do at all in practice. You know, just got into that whole adrenaline running, rushing through my veins and excited knowing that it was within my reach. But, um, you know, we we talk a lot about the mental game and I guess that's what makes the sport exciting is because we do still get excited. But boy, I sure did not do a very good job of controlling the emotions and and that translating over into good, calm decisions as, as we talk a lot about here. Yeah, you know, you talk about the mental game a little bit, but what that mental aspect does is it affects your physical game also, right? So I can look back to uh, Kentucky Lake where I had a couple of key lost fish. I lost a few at St. Clair. I had a great finish this season, but you know, we're all going to lose some fish. This is the thing that I've learned that I'd really like to pass on to Bass Edge listeners too is, and I hear it out of your voice also, and that is, you know, when we're out there practicing and just having fun and catching fish, we're just kind of doing our thing. I don't want to say going through the motions. We're doing what we feel like we need to do That's to right. have fun and put fish in the boat. Then you get into this pressure hooker moment. You get into, oh my gosh, I need that fish. And you might overpressure or underpressure, which I've done in the past. And, and maybe you overpressured a few, but we're doing something different than our normal scenario is because how many fish do we lose in practice? Yeah, exactly. None. Hey, I, yeah, yeah, the point of my practice was I couldn't find the fish to catch. You know? <laughs> and here, right. here I get them on, you know. So, yeah, no, you're exactly right. But, yeah, in general, you know, we don't lose a lot of fish when we're just out having a good time. And the reason is because we're not overdoing it or underdoing it. We're just doing what we know we need to do to keep pressure on the fish and fight it with the normal motion that we know how to do, basically. Based on our experiences. And then all of a sudden you get one on in a tournament and it's like you throw all the experience you have out the window and go, oh my God, I need this one. I need this one. I need this one. And all of a sudden you're not putting as much pressure or you're putting too much pressure. And then we have the weigh-in story or we go back home and we tell our wife or our kids. Yeah. And, and here's here's where I think it comes from. And, and Dr. Jay McNamara mentions this in his book and some of the, the work that I did with him. But I think it's fear-based. We all of a sudden yeah. get fearful that that fish defines our skill as an angler and then all the wheels come off if we have not put forth the work on our mental game like you speak of. That's a great tip, man. I kind of reread some of Jay's stuff, you know, psychology of fishing. He's got some great tips and we got some great tips coming up with protecttheharvest.com. Let's move right along into our next segment. First by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and marine products. Visit lucasoil.com. This is FLW Cup champion Anthony Gagliardi, and you're listening to Bass Edge Radio. 
All right, Bass Edge Nation, today we have a special guest on the Edge Pro Tips segment brought to you by ProtectTheHarvest.com, keeping our traditions alive for future generations. Aaron, we're talking bass anglers for saltwater conservation with Austin Roebuck. I met Austin's colleagues at some of the recent BASS Elite events, and you know he has a very interesting topic to discuss that all of us should be aware of. Austin, thanks for taking the time to share with us this very important initiative. Hey, well, Kurt and Aaron, thanks for having me. This is a really cool initiative to get anglers more involved with the public policy that affects our sport. Well, Austin, can you provide Bass Edge listeners some of the key items that they may not be aware of that could really affect their outdoor activities and and specifically with fishing? Yeah, absolutely. So right now there's a variety of laws and policies that are having huge impact on the world of fishing that may or may not be at the forefront of most anglers' minds. For example, right now in the Gulf of Mexico, red snapper season, which was once a year-round sport, it was one of the most targeted, sought-after fish in the Gulf, has been reduced to a mere nine to ten days a year, totally preventing anglers from being able to get out in the water and target the fish they love. In this kind of restriction, even when the fish stocks are thriving and healthy, is something that we don't want to see spreading to freshwater and spreading to the lakes and rivers and ponds that we love to fish in. But the thing that I would say is that anglers have the opportunity to raise their voice because there's legislation moving through Congress right now, and congressmen care more than anything about hearing what their constituents have to say. So that's why we set up this new advocacy initiative to get anglers more involved uh, with their congressmen. Well, Austin, with so many things that are going on seemingly behind the scenes that we really all need to be aware of, you guys have a great and easy platform for anglers to get involved and take action to protect our passion of fishing as anglers. Can you explain to Bass Edge listeners quickly how to take action and provide feedback to their legislators? Absolutely. The folks over at BASS have really done a great job with this. It's called Bass Anglers for Saltwater Conservation, and you can can access it at BassForSalt.com. And what any angler can do is simply go online, go to the homepage, and there will be a variety of letters, tweets, even talking points for phone calls. All they have to do is select one of the issues they care about from the homepage, fill out their constituent information, that's their name and their address essentially, and the system will automatically identify the correct members in Congress for them to be speaking to. It'll give them pre-written letters, the anglers can review it and send it. It takes about 30 seconds you don't even really have to know about politics. You just have to care about defending our sport, and it can have a huge impact on the laws that get passed that affect the sport we all love. Well, thank you so much, Austin, for really raising our conservation IQ. I know Kurt and I have certainly taken steps to provide our legislators feedback and concerns through this process, and I really want to challenge each Bass Edge Nation member to do the same. It's easy and effective. Most importantly, it will help protect our passion of fishing for future generations. That's the Edge Pro Tip brought to you by ProtectTheHarvest.com. Thanks again, Austin. Thank you. Two fishermen came together with one agenda. To construct bass boats superior in design and build with a flawless finish. With our boats exhilarating handling and smooth ride, extreme rough water just doesn't exist. We're not just building a boat. We're building a legend. Legend Boats.
Well, it was a hot summer, and there wasn't an angler that handled it better than this FLW Pro. We're going to get to know the FLW Cup champion, Brad Knight, on today's edition of the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. Welcome to Bass Edge Radio, Brad. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Well, Brad, it's a pleasure. You know, the 2015 Forestwood Cup champion, is your back tired from carrying that uh, title and that trophy around yet? I don't know. I'm looking forward to getting going for the season next year and looking to carry some more hardware around, hopefully. Boy, that's for sure. You know, that certainly builds a lot of momentum. And, you know, it was kind of the scuttlebutt, I guess, out in the fishing wires were that practice period for the Cup was pretty brutal for nearly every angler in the field, including yourself. How did you really turn that into becoming the Forest Wood Cup champion? Well, it's really kind of a funny story. I actually started the day one of the tournament out of default because we have three-day practice period. And the first day I mixed it up and tried to do several different things from fishing deep, shallow, brush piles, grass. I just wanted to kind of see what all the conditions were. And then I was going to execute the rest of practice according to what I thought was going to give me my best chance to win. And I, I actually found the area that I ended up fishing the first day of practice, and it really wasn't anything special at all. You know, the first day I rolled through there, I kept a couple of keepers, but that's about it. And, uh, you know, you think of Forest Wood Cup winning area, a tournament like that, there'd be just four-pounders everywhere and three-pounders breaking everywhere. Yeah, that's right. It'd just be magical. And that really wasn't the case. You know, I caught a couple of just 13, 14-inch fish, more about two and a half pounds, and that was it. And I just left the area. I knew it looked good. It had potential maybe for getting some bites. But that was about it. And the whole second and third day, I mean, I'm out there for 16, 17 hours a day, and I never had another keeper bite either the rest of the second or the third day. I caught plenty of fish, but no keeper. So really, the first day of the tournament, that was the only place I had that I thought I could catch one. So I was just kind of start there and see if I could get a couple of bites and then just run a lot of new water. So that was really my plan of the tournament. So kind of keep practicing. You know, hopefully you go in there, it yeah. sounds like, and hey, maybe I'll catch one of those I caught, right? <laughs> maybe there's an extra one in there. Yeah, um, exactly. You know, had a good yeah. We'll get on the scoreboard. You know, it's amazing. So many times we enter tournaments and we have tough practices. And a lot of times we get down. How did you kind of overcome some of that mental? Was it just you got a bite and then it provided some more momentum to kind of stay in the area? Or how was the mental side of that working for you? Well, I've been at it a little while now, so that kind of stuff doesn't bother me. I don't put a lot of stock in practice. All that is is just gives you an idea on where to start. So practice for me doesn't really dictate a positive or negative mental attitude. I just stay with it and just evaluate the situation. But the easy thing for me in the cup was, here's the thing, there's no entry fee. If I don't get a bite in the tournament, I've still made $10,000. Sure. You know, it's not like a regular season event where you've got points to make the cup and you've got an entry fee on the line. You get money to make, you know, to feed your family. So that there wasn't any pressure built up really for me in that state. You, know, you go out, do your best, do your out, and the smoke clears. So that's right. one thing. A lot of people put a lot more pressure on themselves at championship events. But those are the easiest ones for me. You know, I don't have any pressure, I don't feel. You know, there's 50 guys. You know, you haven't paid any Thing to get there, you know, you're going to get paid if you don't get it. I mean, that's the stuff that just comes easy to me. I feel like so all the pressure on you is those first six events, trying to get to a championship of whatever series that you're fishing, and then once Absolutely. you get to the championship, it's like, you know, my work's done. I'm going out here to have some fun, right? <laughs> that's it. It's all about winning. You know, nobody cares about second place. So at that point in time, you just kind of let it hang out. The chips fall where they may. You bet. Well, let, let's dissect your approach and your techniques that you used in that. It was a late summer event. You know, it was really really hot. You know, we had had 100 plus day degrees all over the country. And at Lake Amistad, it was brutally hot, you know, middle of the country. Even shoot at that time, I was up north, you know, fishing around in New York and stuff. And, and it was even warm up there. But you used what I would kind of 
you know, call it a finesse flipping approach. Talk to our listeners about your techniques and how you went about utilizing throughout the event. Okay, the situation that, uh, you know, each day kind of changed a little bit, but what was really the meat of what I was doing was a tornado had kind of deposited a lot of trees along this mud flat. And it had a lot of, you know, wasn't just like a pole timber, what you call like a telephone pole or anything. You had actual root wads of these trees and stuff that was under the water. You could see part of the tree sticking out, but maybe 30, 40 feet under the water would be the root wad. And you couldn't see that stuff. And that was what really helped me out in that tournament. And I used a drop shot. That was a kind of a twofold deal for me. Number one, it was a finesse bait, kind of gets you more bite. But number two, this is a really silted in area. And I was pitching that drop shot in there because as opposed to like a Texas rig worm or a jig or something like that, when that bait hits that silted in stuff, those fish don't really want to suck that bait up out of that chunk and get that stuff in their mouth, I don't feel like. So that drop shot, when the weight would hit the bottom, you know, I had maybe a 10-inch dropper, maybe 12-inch, and uh, that was the deal with keeping your bait up off the bottom. And I could sit and shake my bait in that one spot as opposed to a worm where you're having to work the worm, work it to you out of the strike zone. I felt like the fish were swimming around in that root water or up the tree or whatever. In my mind, there was maybe a school of four or five bass living on each one of those trees out there. And I could sit and kind of just shake that bait in its place without moving it to me. It would stay in a strike zone longer. And I really felt like that was the key to getting those bites. How long did you actually let the bait lay up in the cover? I mean, was it five or ten seconds and wind it back in uh, and kind of represent it or longer periods? Probably like maybe no longer than five seconds at a time. I had certain places that I, over the course of the four days you learned were better than others. So those definitely got you know, a little more attention, I guess. But for me, I was, I'm trying to leave it in there three to five seconds maybe and then wind in and make another pitch, you know, pretty close to the area and just kind of work that way. But I definitely felt like with the drop shot, there was a lot better presentation for getting those fish to bite. I tried to catch them like cranking. That's a big deal where I'm from, a square bill cranking, that kind of stuff. And they never would really react to that stuff until the very last day of the tournament with a couple hours left under kind of making that switch and it worked. But, you know, I'll try all throughout the tournament to have that reaction that and that never did really come into play. It's definitely the best approach to get those fish to bite. So all your weigh-in fish were drop shot fish for the most part until that final day? Well, the first day I weighed in quite a few on a buzz bait. You know, in this area it was pretty fresh. It hadn't had a lot of pressure put on it. I mean, these fish may have not even been cast to since probably like May or April, Mayish. I don't know. Everybody kind of goes out and does the brush pile thing. Right. And these fish are in dirty water, the back of a creek. There's plenty of bait, bluegill, water clarity is good. In August, the water coming in in the back of these creeks has got a better quality, in my opinion, than stuff out on the main lake. More oxygenated. I mean, these fish aren't messed with, and they're living a happy little life back there. So I think I was able to get that buzz bait by going just because they were just unpressured. By the second day, we had a lot more media boats in there, more spectator boats, a couple more guys in the tournament were kind of pushing back in that area. And you really started to feel the pressure by the middle of the second day, you really start being affected by those fish. And that's why the second and third day, and most of the fourth, the drop shot was really a key player for me. Well, you lead me right into my next topic, Brad, which is fishing pressure. You know, it's, it's that's a factor that whether you're a recreational angler or the top pros like you and Kurt, you know, all of us have to deal with just due to the popularity of the sport or just quite frankly, mm-hmm. numbers that are placed there by a tournament. How were you able to manage the other anglers that had chosen to fish the same waters that you were targeting? Well, there was uh, two other competitors that were in the immediate area, and one of them really was, we were, had kind of figured out, you know, what was going on and was cast for cast in the same trees I was. And really the key for me was, is he was, best I could tell by watching him, was fishing the visible stuff, you know, where the tree would stick out of the water and the obvious stuff. So each day the water was receding by about four to six inches probably a day. And what that was doing, I paid attention to him in this big flat to my 
depth finder and by just watching for dark spots and it was showing me more cover as each day went on and what i would do is just mark a waypoint and as i would go from one piece that you could see to the other you know there'd be one tree there that i would have found the first day and, and i could cast my, to my waypoint just like you cast to a brush pile on a ledge in the summertime it's just in three feet of water and i was able to catch quite a few key fish for that and also realized the root wide deal with those trees that was underwater i would get up on top of the basically you'd have trees that look like a telephone pole sticking up out of the water about three feet and i would get up on top of that with my depth finder and just basically troll out the end of that tree until i could find the end of it and mark that root wide and i'd mark a waypoint on that so i was actually casting the stuff i couldn't see where the fish were at 90 percent of the fish were on those root ones and 10 percent were on the places that you could see and that's why you were seeing the weights of the guys in my area go down each day and my weights were staying pretty consistent right i tell you you know a lot of times when you're fishing a small area you guys were fishing you know basically a creek in the middle of the summertime you catch a few fish and then later on you you kind of put it together like okay i really understand the behavioral pattern of why these fish were there you mentioned oxygen levels is there anything else that you really noticed about the area that you felt like that's why there were so many fish stacked in the back of this one particular creek because let's face it you know lots of creeks everywhere they weren't everywhere or other guys probably would have caught them but there were several anglers in this one little section seemed like it had more abundant fish than anywhere else is there anything you can really pinpoint of why you think the behavior of those fish acted that way uh, at that time of year and that's a great question and and what i tried to do after i had those few bites and i started struggling other days in practice was that was the back of a creek had some dirty water in it and lake wachita is a relatively clear lake and i ran to the back of several other creeks and and looked for that stuff and i never really found a lot of the cover stuff that it had you'd find a few shallow brush piles and stuff i think the deal was was just having those big trees from that tornado that big area you know i'm talking probably 30 or 40 trees throughout a 500 yard stretch Uh, i had the right water clarity was colored up pretty good it may be just a creek that traditionally holds more fish i don't really know i don't i've only been to wachita once and it was in bay and i didn't don't get help or any of that stuff so i don't know that much about it for me i would if i had to put two things on it i'd say number one would be just the abundance of cover that they could live in number two would be the water clarity lake wachita was high all spring and all uh, early summer you know those fish may have been in eight or ten feet of water in those trees and as the water receded they never really had any reason to leave and there was plenty of bait fish in there you'd see them breaking on bait every day or there were plenty of bluegills up on the bank and stuff so nobody was messing with them they had plenty to eat they were happy little waters in there <laughs> that's right that's right happy for five hundred thousand dollar payday baby <laughs> exactly that's, that's awesome exactly right. so uh this is your seventh year fishing the flw tour obviously your cup win highlight of your career at this point i was doing a little stat research on you digging in a little bit and noticed your improvement has really been substantial over the last couple of years which looks like totally led to where you are now which is forcewood cup champion that's pretty cool but what do you think led to that change in your performance over the first five years that you fished toward and now in these last couple years where it seems like you really stepped up the pace and are fishing really well right now can you yeah, explain to any listeners what maybe you think changed well i think it's a couple of things but one of them the major thing is is my family started traveling with me full time my wife she was a nurse and you know we took a really 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 big risk and rolled the dice i've got a three-year-old little girl and uh, they traveled me a little bit the first year she was born a couple of tournaments and then uh, her first year after that she went back to work and my mom and my wife kept my little girl all the time and then i'd be out on the road and you know how it is you're out three four weeks at a time and i'd come back home and i'd take my little eight-month-old girl up and she'd look at me like i was a total stranger and uh, man that was pretty tough and and, you know after that year i had the worst year of my career and i said something's got to change dude we're gonna go we're all in or i'm gonna be done it's just not worth it and then we rolled the dice and took off and last year was their first year traveling full-time with us so you know we've got two full seasons under our belt i mean it's exclusively what we do i mean if bass don't 
don't get put in the live well, we don't eat. So that's pretty much what it is. But what also it does, it allows me to focus 110% on what I do. She alleviates a lot of the responsibilities I have out on the road, takes care of the business stuff, takes care of the food. I mean, all I have to worry about is catching them. We have a big time out there, man. That's, I mean, I raised my little girl up on the fishing trail. I don't have to worry about what's going on at home. Am I doing the right thing anymore? So that, that was a lot of it. But also, like, early in my career, I got started young. Didn't have a lot of experience, but, uh, you know, I knew I just kind of threw in on the tour and could make it happen. That was what I was going to do. I didn't try to waste a lot of money spending a lot of time fishing like the AAA level, I guess you'd say, the Bass Open and the Everstarts just because I didn't right. feel like you were getting enough bang for your buck money-wise. On the tour, I knew there was going to be learning curves, but, you know, you might go a couple of tournaments and do any good and then you could do decent and then get a lot of reward out of that financially. And, uh, you know, just coming into my own, learning more of my own fishing identity on, on what to do and how to travel. You know, I knew how to catch them back home. I was doing really well at the house, but you know as well as I do, there's a big learning curve when you get out and you start traveling. you got three days to find them to beat the best in the world. And, uh, you know, things just kind of progress along a little bit. I'm, I'm 33 now. I think I started when I was... Uh, you know, mid to late twenties. You know, you just kind of mature as an angler. You get mentally strong. You, you develop confidence in what you're doing. Your own kind of system. And then that kind of coincided with uh, family traveling. Just kind of, you know, I, I try to perfect the system each and every day, each and every year that you evaluate what's going on. I think I'm just getting closer to finding out what works best for me. Uh, obviously, your recipe has been fine-tuned because it is certainly working given the trajectory, like Kurt speaks of your improvement, Brad. And I, I think that speaks a lot about not only your decisions on the water, but your decisions such as to, you know what, family's more important. This is your passion. This is what you love to do. But also, if your mind is kind of wondering about what's going on with your family and torn between what to be doing with those responsibilities and your responsibilities on the water, that's a tough deal. So hats off to you for for making that decision. I mean, that's just tremendous. But before we go to break, one thing I want to throw out there is where do your fishing goals go from here? You know, you're, <laughs> you've won the cup, right? The most prestigious yeah. uh, side of, of the FLW. And that's a lot of things that guys can't say that they've done so at what point in time now do you have to kind of retool and create motivation moving forward well i don't think creating any motivation is going to be hard as a matter of fact my wife and i were talking about this the other day i have more fuel now to go out and you don't want to be the guy that wins the cup and then just totally flops for the next three years i mean i, I want to go work harder now because we can afford to you know you know you're not going man you know it's financially part we're stable now new sponsorship opportunities are arising i've got more passion to go be better than i've ever been to uh, take it to even higher level. I mean, I want to be the first guy to win two cups. I want to win the first guy to win three. I want to win them all. I want to win everything. I don't know how to explain it. I guess you finally legitimize all your life's hard work to get to that stage and man, I don't want to squander it. I can tell you that. I want to win an angler's year. I want to win I want to win everything. You know, there's not one. Everybody does. I mean, that just goes without saying. But I can assure you that sitting back and staring at that cup isn't going to be what takes place on my end. I promise you that. Good stuff right there, guys. Hey, we got to take a short break. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more Bass Edge Radio. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. If it's hard to stop or you hear squealing and grinding noises during braking, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts. You'll find the brake parts you need from trusted brands like BrakeBest, BrakeBest Select, and Wagner ThermoQuiet at everyday low prices. Play it safe with brake parts from O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices, every day. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Bass Edge Radio, presented by MegaWare Keelguard, returns with FLW Cup champion Brad Knight in the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. Lucas Oil high-performance marine products. From real oils to two-cycle outboard oil that surpasses all manufacturers' requirements, visit them at lucasoil.com. It 
works. Well, hey, Brad, we got another topic I know you know all kinds of things about, and that is East Tennessee Bassin. We'd love to talk some football, and I know that you're a Volunteers fan. They've been playing pretty well. They got off to a quick start, 2-0, and and I know we're taping just before this big Gator game coming up. So before we jump into East Tennessee Bassin, what's your call? I mean, are you just calling it? it volunteers got the Gators or what? Oh, yeah, we got them all the way. This is the year we... Uh... We're going to drain the swamp this year. I can feel it. <laughs> I like it. Draining the swamp. So th- this should be great. We got the fall here. Football's in full swing. Generally, fishing in the southeast pretty brutal. Most anglers go hunting. Some stay in front of the TV, watch the volunteers beat the gators. But uh, not me. You know, I'm still fishing, waiting for those first two or three northern fronts to blow in. How about you? What are you waiting for to get kind of fishing moving in the fall? Or what's your plans this fall? Oh, I love fishing in the fall. It's one of my favorite times of the year. Typically, we like uh, chicken August coming on with the grass, you know, it's got giants in it, and I really like getting down there, the gunners will chip them off, get those grass lakes and getting on that frog bite. You know, I, that's why I really love to catch them is frog fishing, punching a big sinker in the grass, that, that's a fun way. So all that kind of comes in in the fall. Also, something we do, uh, the big strappers will move into the back of these shallow creeks in the late summer, early fall deal, and you can catch them on a spook. I mean, you're talking like 30, 40 pounders, and you can catch several of them in a day. That's something we kind of get out in the afternoon and, and chase around in the fall as well. That, that's pretty fun. Yeah, I'm not a big hunter. I like going a couple of times a year, maybe. But, uh, you know, for me, if I can go to Gunnersville and get on that frog bat, that's where you're going to find me at. Well, I'm the same way, Brad, and I'm going to pick up the pace a little bit on you here, but uh, because you get to talking about the top water and the frog and certainly some of the most fun ways to fish. What about areas that you're looking for to target these fish? The patterns run the gamut, so clue us in a little bit on kind of the areas that you're going to be keying in on that others can take to apply to their home waters. Yeah, like on the Tennessee River chain, I- I'm looking... Uh, uh, on non-grass lakes, I kind of get back in the back of the bays, up the rivers, kind of get in the dirtier water. We'll have a lot of the bait pushed back in those kind of places, and that's what you look for. I may run in the back, and I may not even stand up out of the driver's seat. I'll go in the back of the pocket, shut it down, kind of just evaluate the situation, see if you see any bait, you know, any fish blowing up in the bait, running the schools of shad. And uh, if that's happening, then, you know, put the trail motor down and start casting. If you don't see any activity, you can run to the next you know, one day they may be in the back on creek fighting really good, and the next day they're dead and they're in another place. So that's what I'm looking for. I like the strappers and the bass and the top water stuff. And on the grass lakes, you've got two different equations. You've got whether they're going to be in the mill full or the hydrilla. And once the hydrilla starts kind of dying out, caverning it out really well on the main river channel, like on a Gunnersville Lake or somewhere, that's really where I'm going to be spending my time at. Looking for those mats to start breaking up. And, you know, you may fish four or five sticks even up to a dozen mats to not get a bite, but find one that's just absolutely loaded. And it doesn't have to be a big one either. And uh, they'll school up underneath those things, and you can just kind of power pole down and just work them over really well with the frogs. That's my idea of a really good time on a Saturday afternoon in the fall. That sounds like fun to me. I'll be right out, buddy. It's no secret yeah. you've got a swim bait passion. I- I've seen some articles talking about the Roman maids and uh, all kinds uh-huh. of big swim baits. Um, tell me a little bit about how the East Tennessee guy gets into these big swim baits. And then two, let's talk real quick about some fall and maybe even some early winter month swim bait action what are you going to choose to throw and where are you going to throw it well i do definitely like the big roman made stuff i have the fly swimmer that's 250 as well like those are two of my, of my favorite slide style bait those are big huddlestons a lot i don't have a lot of different stuff that i use that's kind of just a small circle i do but i got started on that stuff with brandon paul and it turned me on to a lot of that uh, he's a really good friend of mine stays at the house all the time and I'm just looking at some of his stuff you know i'd pick up some of the baits and think, man that's an awful kick that's kind of crazy years ago and it's been 
said, well, right, we'll just go fishing. I'll show you what some of these big baits are doing. You know, just to be honest, he turned me on to it, and I really enjoyed it. And once you get one of those very big ones to just absolutely drill a stomp of a swim bait, it's a bite like no other, and it's pretty addictive. So sort of Alabama riggish, you're targeting a whole different level of fish than you will with the spinner bait or, or crank bait, in my opinion. Right. And you sacrifice, obviously, a lot of bites with it, but the quality, I don't think there's a better bait to uh, get your quality bites with than, than a big swim bait. That's how I got started doing it. Well, it became a passion. And uh, going into, like, the ball, I really like going into the glide bait, uh, your depth's 250. The bigger bait, they're going to move shallow. The big ones will be chasing those big gizzard chat. And it's a really good uh, duplicator of that stuff. Down the edges of grass, over the top of spurge, grass bump. You don't have grass, you can get on bluffs, catch them that way, current steams, you know, down up the rivers. All that kind of stuff is really what I key on. And as it gets into the winter months, as it gets colder, I kind of move away from the glide bait and go to more like the Huddleston, a little more of the soft stuff that's going to be a little more of a finesse style. So even though you're throwing okay. a big bait, it's a little more finesse I guess, but a little more subtle than, than what you have for big glide. Right, and right. You okay. can go to like a six-inch Huddleston. There's a really good bait around here early wintertime before it gets too cold. You can catch the big ones doing that as well in the same type of places. Cool, man. That sounds like fun. We're going to have to move right into our O'Reilly Auto Parts Better parts, better prices every day. Listener question segment. Brad, we choose a question sent in by a listener for our guest angler to answer in each episode. And this question that we're going to pose to you is sent in by Roy of Warner Robins, Georgia. And Roy asked, to keep from having backlash problems, what's the best bait casting reel, make and model to use when trying to cast lighter lures? Well, um, if you're having to use a bait caster, I'm going to definitely go with the lose light bait caster. It's got a lot of adjustments you can make, except the centrifugal brakes, as well as the numbers on the side, pool control. A lot of different adjustments you can make with that reel. I really feel like that's the, you know, the best reel for that kind of stuff. If it's super light stuff, like crank a lot of balsa plugs around my house on a homemade crankbait deals, and we get all the crank with spinner rods. Real small swim bait stuff, rubs, all that kind of deal. I just go straight to spinner rod. I can be a lot more efficient with it. Something I feel really comfortable doing. So don't be afraid to put that spinner on your hand either if you're having trouble backlash. Well, too, on that, Brad, what role does the rod play? I know Roy didn't ask that question, but the action of the rod, I'm sure, has some sort of, uh, you know, impact on the ability to be able to cast a lighter lure. Absolutely. Yeah, the lighter the action, the better you're going to be able to cast something into the wind and have a light bait. It just allows your rod to load up the weight of that bait and use it to your advantage on a cast. You know, a, friend, a lot of friends of mine don't like cranking those uh, small plugs on a spinner rod, and they'll use really, really Really wimpy rods for that kind of stuff. But the problem is, is then you hook a fish, and then you've got a, a really soft rod, so you've got to hook and penetrate it past the barb, and, and then fight a fish or that kind of stuff. So I, I feel like with the spinning rod, you can kind of get the best of both worlds. You've got castability, and you've got something you can play the fish better as well. But if you have to use a bait caster, that's what you're going to have to do on the, the step down, probably a, a power in your rod, and tighten up on your brakes. Well, that's certainly uh, great advice right there. Thanks for tackling that question, Brad and Roy. Be sure to send us an email at support at BassEdge.com and let us know you heard your question answered on the show and we will send out that $100 O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card. And reminder, Bass Edge listeners, to send in your questions to possibly win the next O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card. Of course, we want to hear your feedback from the show as well. Email us 
at support at BassEdge.com or leave us a comment through our Facebook pages and Twitter handle. All right, Brad, we appreciate you joining us on the show. As the closing bell rings, any uh, final sayonara or words of wisdom? Well, I just want to really thank everybody for all the support and uh, well wishes. It's been a phenomenal ride just to get started on it. I'd just like to uh, send an invite to everybody to follow us on our social media stuff, BradNightFishing.com. Any emails, any questions, Instagram, Facebook, Brad Night Fishing. Twitter is Be Night Fishing. So, you know, just a long ride. Just dive in there with us and, and follow along. It's going to be an interesting journey to see how everything goes. We try to keep it fun, keep it light, and but also keep it real on that. So you want to see what it's like in the day in the life and the time, that's the way to do it. Awesome stuff. We'll definitely be watching. Congrats again on your cup victory and good luck in 2016. Stay right there, Bass Edge Nation. We'll return right after these messages. This is professional angler Scott Martin, 2015 Angler of the Year. Stay right here for some more Bass Edge Radio. Now you can order Bass Edge Season 3 on DVD. Own the best resource for tips and techniques in bass fishing as host Aaron Martin tackles lakes across the country with the industry's top pro anglers, including Denny Brower, Boyd Duckett, Randy Howell, and Dave Wolak. This two-disc set includes all 13 episodes. That's over 10 hours of Bass Edge, including interviews, bloopers, and highlights, all for just $19.95. Order online at BassEdge.com. And be sure to check out previously released DVDs like Bass Edge Seasons 1 and 2 and Electronics 101. Bass Edge, Season 3, now on DVD at BassEdge.com. Kurt, we mention it all the time of the quality of the guests that we have, and certainly Brad is no different. Won a phenomenal tournament, but it's much more than just winning the tournament. It's all the advice and, and all the things that has led him to his decision. And, and one of the things that he mentioned that we alluded to at the beginning by really accident, but I do want to get your way in on this, pardon the pun, that practice doesn't necessarily dictate how he feels during tournament day. He doesn't let that define his mood or his mindset for the upcoming day of competition. Yeah, I think practice, you know, as as we evolve as anglers, practice takes a totally different meaning. For a lot of people that are just starting to fish, they take practices, okay, I got to go out there and I've got to catch fish that I can continue to catch as the event starts. Or even, even as you're recreationally fishing, you think you need to enter the water and catch fish. And if you're not catching fish immediately, you're doing something wrong, you're not doing something right, or you're not having the right approach. And that is totally not the deal. You have to evolve from the practice or from the trial and error process to have the success. It's a step process. Brad took that step to victory lane and so many times people are losing in practice. What I mean by losing in practice, they're losing the mental focus, losing the mental positive aspects they need to have, not keying in on those small clues that can help them have more success while fishing. Well, and I don't know about you, but there's very few tournaments, if any, that I've ever been in when winning practice uh, pays the bills. So just remember that. And uh, when you actually want to catch them is come tournament day. Or if you're a recreational angler and not into the tournament scene, you have limited days. 
So put the nose down, keep the mind clear, enjoy your surroundings because they will ultimately give you the clues. And speaking of a clue, our clue is we need to go practice some more, Kurt, because we are out of time. So uh, right. <laughs> let's hit the water for episode number 217 on this first day of October. So long, everybody. For Kurt Dove, I am Aaron Martin and the rest of the Bass Edge crew. We will see you October 15th for episode number 218. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything other than the toughest keel protector for your boat? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our patented technology. Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the most dependable, most trusted keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. Keel Guard keel protectors. The Edge is presented by KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Legend Boats, O'Reilly Auto Parts, Lucas Oil Products, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, Lowrance, PowerPole, and Rapaholic.com. <laughs>